Well, Happy New Year. Of course, as you know, this is the year of the water rabbit. So I've been asked to introduce Dr. Miller uh, this morning. Um, it's good to see so many of you here and look, and more are signing up. That's great. Dr. Miller has asked me to also thank you for your kind donations. And it's your donations that, that keep the that keep the show on the road, so to speak. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Miller. Hello. <laughs> I'd like to begin by just looking back at the past and also by saying thank you to Aaron, who's helped me set up this little bit different setup. Thanks so much, Aaron. Um, so a brief looking back before we before we look forward. It was really back in the in the early 1970s when uh, I introduced my my original work and the recorded guided imagery meditation, which was the uh, most amazing discovery. And was um, it was pretty stunning to medical and psychotherapy practitioners at the time. I didn't get a lot of resistance because people could see that the, uh, the concepts I, I was working with were, were legitimate, but no one had really thought to do this before to open a practice of uh, mind-body medicine in which we looked at the role of the mind, the body, the emotion, behavior, and the spiritual dimension um, to see um, how there can be a wholeness. So it was a systems approach, as you would expect from a former mathematician. But it was still amazing to people how could deep relaxation, focused attention, mental image rehearsal produce such profound changes, not only in mental and emotional comfort, but in so many physical diseases and disorders. And you know, one of the things that was important uh, to me is when I was in, in my medical training, we always focused on what was wrong. We looked at pathology and then we looked at ways to fight that pathology. And that's what allopathic medicine means as you try to give people the opposite. So if they're having pain, you give them an anti-pain pill. If they are, have an infection, you give an antibiotic and, and so forth. Um, but I had gone into medicine with the desire to see people be happy. That was my concept of medicine. Uh, because when, when I had experience with a doctor, I had a cold and the doctor would come to see and tap me on the chest, which I thought was pretty magical. I, mean, I actually thought that was that's what was transforming. It felt really cool, really cool to feel his big, fat, pudgy hands that he had. So my goal was to see more with what was working instead of looking at what's broken. 
let's look at what at what works. And then I had the good fortune back in the end of the 60s to run on, into a couple of physicians practicing in Monterey and, Carne and Carmel who were practicing medical hypnotherapy. And um, it struck me right away that this was what was necessary. I'd already developed the concept of the mind as really, a, really being a biocomputer because I had been a computer programmer before that. And it was clear to me that it, it, there was a very, a, a very strong similarity between the two. Not that the mind works like a computer, but that the computer works like the mind. And I could see that people um, in their beliefs and their way of looking at things and the way they felt about things was at the basis of so many of their diseases and of the suffering that they had. Uh, from their diseases. And here was this incredible technique uh, of, of um, hypnosis that could get people to see the world so differently. And I don't mean like, yeah, yeah, now you're a rooster and so cluck like a hen or crow like a rooster, the way the stage hypnos hypnotists do. Uh, but, you know, much, you know, much more meaningful changes in people's lives, teaching them to minimize pain, um, um, relieving anxiety and so forth. And immediately I could see that this had a, an enormous future if it was to be applied in a different way. And right on the heels of that, again, this is maybe 1970 or so, I discovered Esalen Institute where the techniques of meditation of East and West uh, or of the East were coming to the West, uh, to the West Coast at Esalen. And there people talked about these things and soaked in hot tubs and practiced meditation. Um, and I could see the connection between meditation, hypnosis, and prayer. And so I, and all three of meditation and prayer and hypnosis, uh, what they do, generally speaking, is to create a sense of calm, a sense of confidence. There's a tendency to bring you into the present moment and to be able to um, let go of unnecessary thoughts from the mind, which you know, was obviously they were quieting the, the paleocortex, they were quieting the amygdala, and therefore you don't have that anxious pressure, um, anxiety pressure, fight or flight response from stress. And now, as soon as you quiet those emotions, you have access to your prefrontal cortex, which is the brain's brain. That is the executive area of your brain. And that's where you can make wise choices because you have access to wisdom, you have access to your higher learning, you have access to your spiritual beliefs and principles. And it's easier to remember the right way to do things and and tell yourself to do it and and you do it instead of your emotions blocking you from even knowing that you have those those potentials that was really how i had begun and how i changed and developed the concept of mind body medicine uh and i also um, beginning in i guess 1972 or 73 when audio cassettes were invented i said aha and of course, my goal, of course, was to change the world, to heal the world, because 
I can see that there is the possibility of healing. And I've been able to see it all along. And I thought, oh, by the time I was 30 or 40 years old, I will, would have been able to um, help enlighten the world along with other colleagues of mine who are beginning to um, tune into holistic medicine and the role of spirituality. And I really thought that we could that we could do that at that time, although my work was working with individual people in my office and and developing the the, the concepts that that I wanted to uh, to work with. Finally, did was then in nineteen ninety seven was when I wrote my book, Deep Healing: The Essence of Mind Body Medicine, where I, I tried to make available to people all of the concepts that I had learned and developed in my work. And then I went on to looking at um, deeper issues and to developing ways to guide people to deeper understandings of, of themselves, understanding of the psyche, and especially the way that our culture affects us and creates the kinds of, of, of problems that we've had. And we've, of course, I've talked about all of these in the last 20 or 30 um, presentations here of webinars. You can see by going to drmiller.com slash life meditations. Uh, and and so, uh, and what I've come to realize in working with people, and one of my favorite techniques was to um, systematically explore the past to find out what was the root of people's problems. One person came to me, and um, she was uh, a tense person, but she'd started to work with with my tapes. And over a period of time, she had been able to become much more relaxed. But every once in a while, she would just drift into a really deep state of relaxation. And all of a sudden, she would react with anxiety and her eyes would fly open. And she was anything but relaxed. So I worked with guiding her back. And eventually, I guided her back to the earliest time in her life that she ever felt that particular kind of fear that was coming up when she was listening. And of course, uh, and at this point, she went back and she was, uh, you know, perhaps six or eight or 10 months old. Uh, she was lying in the bassinet. It was late in the afternoon and uh, she could see shadows of the lace curtains on the wall as the wind blew, they were moving, and you could hear the sound of the wind outside, and she was just grooving. She was just wonderful. Meanwhile, her jealous six-year-old brother snuck into the room and pushed over the baby and the bassinet. Ah, ah, ah. And that was it. So basically, at that point in her life, of course, the mother probably came in and says, Donald, I told you, don't, don't play with the baby. Don't push the baby over here. Put the baby back. There, there, baby. Stop crying. Put the baby back in the bassinet. But 
she was traumatized at that point. That trauma was at the basis of the anxiety she felt and had felt for the next 30 or 40 years of her life in different situations where she couldn't just trust it to be relaxed. And using the tools that I developed, I deconditioned that response and, and programmed a new response. And now the woman came to me this time because she was a, afraid of lights. She avoided heights. And, you know, she wouldn't drive on high roads or go upstairs. But the company she was working for was moving to another building. And this, their office was going to be on the 17th floor. So <laughs> this was a problem. And it was surrounded by windows. But she loved her job. And so she came to me to see what we could do about that. Um, and so it really turned out to be what's one of those um, gimme cases where I think, you know, the great spirit sends things like that to people where they get to feel really wonderful because, you know, I put her into just a you know moderate state of, of relaxation and got in touch with a part of her that reacted to, to heights and asked what the, you know, what other behavior and what was it for? And it was to make her feel safe. That was its purpose. And so we asked that part of her, what other behavior would make you feel safe? And it suggested smile. Okay. So I made her tape in which she could envision anytime she felt fear of heights, she could go ahead and smile. And I heard back from her, maybe a week or two later, she had gone there. She climbed on the elevator. She started feeling the old fear as the elevator was going up. And she smiled. There were other people in the elevator with her, and they noticed her smiling, and they all smiled back at her. <laughs> and it was really quite nice. And the door of the elevator opened, and she got out, and there she was on the 17th floor. And she felt no fear. In fact, it was amazing to see the world from that height because she had never allowed herself to do it. She thought it was beautiful. She hung out quite a while by the windows, you know, for the for quite a while when, while she was there, just enjoying what it was looking, you know, what it looks like from heights. So and I didn't see her anymore until about a year later and I was Christmas shopping at Macy's in San Francisco and she, Dr. Miller, Dr. Miller, and oh yeah, well, how are you doing? She says, wonderful. And she says, you'll never guess what my hobby is. And I said, no, what? She said, rock climbing. And we're climbing the rocks in Yosemite next weekend. <laughs> How could that be? Because I'm afraid to do that rock climbing once I get above about eight or 10 feet. I don't want to do it anymore. And I don't consider myself to have a problem. It's just like, hmm. well, because her capacity to enjoy heights was hidden from her and it kind of opened up. So what I'm talking about is that there are little events that happen in all of our lives and no one knows that we've been traumatized. A bully traumatizes you or you, know, you have a, you know, maybe a bigger brother or sister that beats you up once or once or twice, or maybe you lock yourself in a closet or you think you're locked in the closet for five minutes and somebody opens the door and you come out. But during that time, you have experienced some trauma. Now, it may go away because 
It may get deconditioned by experiences you have after then, but often it doesn't. And that's why we all have these weird things, you know, I can't eat this kind of food or these kind of images really bother me or this sound really freaks me out or I have fear to speak in front of people or I find it difficult to relax fully to make love or, or, or whatever it is. And we don't know why it's buried back there in the past. So, so much of my work had to do with digging in, finding out how these deeper systems uh, in human beings work. And then I went on to discover uh, and explore the whole notion of spirituality and what, uh, what kind of role that can play in our lives. Um, so then I did this whole series of webinars, and they're still available for you free at drmiller.com slash life meditations. And I kind of review the essence of, of uh, how these concepts apply in different areas. And I know there were some questions um, that had to do with spirituality. And, you know, for myself, I was, I was a militant agnostic uh, when I was in high school and college. That means that I felt that agnostics had a much greater ability to believe than I did. And of course, um, those who believed in God did, because I say, you know, I look at all these different, you know, there are, you know, hundreds, thousands of different religions and everyone has a different looking God and some gods have 12 arms and some gods live in the clouds and they have a long beard and, you know, other clouds, uh, other gods are animals and, and everybody believes in, in their God, even to the point where the, you know, the Catholics and the Christians have fought wars with each other. And yet they both say they believe in Jesus. So uh, I, couldn't go with that. And, you know, just the, the miracles, virgin birth and parting the seas, just, and as a scientist, it's just like, oh, what am I going to do with that? And yet, as I began to practice in the 1970s, um, and I would find that those people who had a spiritual belief, those those people who believe that there was a greater power, uh, and whether it's Buddha or, or Jesus or the flying spaghetti monster, uh, you think I'm kidding? Mm, look it up. Flying spaghetti monster has thousands of worshipers. Uh, but whatever it is, if you believe in it, those people could heal better. If they needed to relieve pain, chronic pain, they, the pain would heal to a greater extent. It, they were much better at reducing that pain if they had some spiritual sense. Um, and and that, uh, that baffled me because I didn't have a sense like that. And, and like people stopping smoking, it's, it's really easy. Um, for Christians to stop smoking, if you tie your 
guided imagery and your suggestions to, to Jesus. So the kinds of problems we have in our lives do not yield to the kinds of emotions, the, the depressions and the anxieties and, um, and, and the fear and the uh, resentments and, and all of that, the worry that we get. When we're worried about things, you're not present. You're thinking about the past. If you're feeling guilty about something you did or ashamed of who you think you are, you're thinking about the past. You're not in the present. And so our relaxation techniques simply bring us into the present moment. And because we're in the present moment, we're safe. And therefore, we turn off those emotional reactions. That gives us the ability to open up to our wisdom and to open up to our spiritual level. And we all have it. And if you do it, if you look back into the past, and, and we've been doing that, that's what we did in our last uh, webinar, and I will, I will edit it and have it available probably another three or four days, and you'll be able to find it on drmiller.com slash life meditations, because what we did was we looked back in the past to those times when we had magical moments, holy moments, breakthroughs, uh, epiphanies, sudden discoveries, times when we felt absolutely fantastic and wonderful. We've all had those times. Well, if we go back, uh, if you get quiet, so we get rid of the unnecessary thoughts, then we go back through our memory banks, we recreate those scenes in our minds, and we've practiced doing that many times. You know, you can revivify a memory, and when you do, your brain goes into the computing configuration that you had at the time that you had that experience. So you've emulated that, let's say, religious experience. When you do, now your brain's in the same shape as it was when it received that spiritual experience before. And maybe it was Yasha Heifetz playing the, uh, the violin, or maybe it was seeing an incredibly beautiful dance, or maybe it was at the end of a long meditation, or it just struck you at some moment that you happened to be open to it. But by going back and strengthening those moments of spirituality or love, when you felt completely in love with your newborn baby or someone or something, whatever it might be, you can use that as a kind of spiritual experience because it is a sense of wholeness, which is what that spiritual level represents to us where you, you love everybody. You know, I've been watching um, Megan and Harry, this uh, six-part series that um, Meghan Markle and, and, and Harry, the prince from England, have done telling their story, which um, I really enjoyed watching them. And I, I believe that they really believe in the things that they're saying. And I really believe that they're in love. And you can just see the joy that they have and the power 
it gave them to accomplish and go up against what they went up against. It also begins to show you it show you the media and what's going on in the media and how the media was used to really assassinate them. And there are a lot of people that have a lot of negative ideas about these two young people. Go watch their movie, listen to them tell it, and open your mind. Be willing to receive something different. And this is inspiration. But, and then look at what, look at the, what the media has done to them. This is just a, a, a very clear and brilliant example of what it's doing to all of us. And so, yeah, ultimately, we've been separated from our spiritual uh, ability, from our spiritual center, um, that highest level of philosophy, um, that part that has high ideals. Um, and we're continually being battered away by uh, the media and by the, by the culture. Uh, by the culture that we that we live in, um, I can remember being teased as a uh, as a child and being picked on, and I would go to the adults and say, "You know, somebody, you know, help me out." And they go, "Well, you know, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never harm you. Well, our names can never harm you. Well, now they can." <laughs> with social media words can hurt you very very badly and can hurt your children and i realized that that was trauma for me as a child and um, the kind of shyness and insecurity that i developed uh, stayed with me for decades until i learned how to get rid of it i didn't know where it came from but as I've learned more about where things come from in people's lives, huh, I can trace it in mine. So at any rate, Harry and Meghan, or Meghan and Harry, I've forgotten when Meghan met Harry. Or, or but uh, check it out, because just what there, there is to say about the media. And, and, and as you see those two people, if they're pretending to be in love, uh, if they're just acting, they're doing a darn good job. And such love does exist. And if they're just modeling it, yeah, open up to it. Because that's what I found is really the essential healing process, which is love, which is true spirituality, which tells you that you can be safe in this moment, you can be at peace, and you can be calm. Oh, there's a hand. And that's from George. Hi, George. Let's see if I can uh, ask you to respond. Hello. What's Hi. Uh, first of all, thank you for all these fabulous presentations. Um, I enjoyed uh, every single one of them. Um, and I have been spreading the word to people um, <clears throat> to try and generate more. Um, more interest. But um, I want to ask, well, I had a couple questions, but one is in regard to using meditation to deal with um, 
situations that ultimately are not going to have a happy outcome, such as elder care yeah. and long-term illness. And uh, by the way, I tried to send this in through the chat and it said the chat was disabled and I sent it through the Q and a, um, but, oh, okay. But, um, but, uh, elder care, which ultimately is not going to have a happy ending. Um, and it's, you know, very stressful and, um, you know, kind of an up and down situation. So I just wanted to get your feeling on using these tools to manage them, even, even though, um, the outcome is not going to be, um, yeah. happy. So I'll um, mute myself and listen to your response. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. I would say first step because you're obviously talking about someone you care about, someone that you love, someone you feel close to, someone who's been important to you in life, um, with whom you've shared some important, important experiences. And so meditation, bringing yourself into the present moment, just the peace of this moment where you're, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to go anywhere, just to be relaxed in this present. And, you know, when you're worried about the future and you're feeling negative, well, just be in the present. And second thing is to be in touch with the love that you have for this person. Go back and recollect experiences that you've had, look back at photographs that you've had, uh, um, revivify memories with that person because that joy and that love and that connection is still within you. And you know, the world crashes in and you get separated, but reconnect with it and feel the gratitude. Be aware of the grace that gave you the ability to feel that. Um, feel gratitude to all those people that uh, made you a sufficiently sensitive person that you could have that relationship. I mean, so you want to deepen your, deepen your caring for that person and know that it doesn't go away. The next thing is to deal with the fact that we will lose everything. You know, at the point that we die, we don't take anything with us and that's gotta be okay. And it's important to find a way to really look at the evanescence of things. Buddhism is good for, is good for learning that. And the Buddha's teachings that the cause of all suffering is wanting things to be different from how they are at this moment in time. So to be an acceptance of the time that you do have with this, with this person, and um, and they may be ill, they may not, they may be older, they can't do or be who they were before, but you can love and feel the connection of who's there in in the moment. Uh, and then, you know, work on some belief. My, my belief is that 
that when we love and when we have that connection, that it, it, it is a higher connection and it never goes away. Because I can think about people that I loved and I, I still, and I can still feel it. So that the object of what we love may go away. Ultimately, everything will, and each person will go away. But the spirit does not have to be lost. But because we have not learned to let go in our culture, this was one of the things that had amazed me early on was the, the Easterners um, and the, um, you know, in, in India, um, the Buddhists and the Hindus, I mean, they practice letting go or um, if you take Taoism, the, you know, the, the praising of, of emptiness, like reading the Tao Te Ching, 30 spokes has the wheel, but it's the hole in the middle that makes it useful. You know, a house has walls and ceilings, but it's the windows and doors that make it useful. So this would be interesting. So um, they learn, you know, to take the letting go. So, so we need to learn how to do that more. So we will, I will let go of the physical form of that dog that just died or that person who can no longer be with me or whatever it might be. And the more I can let go, and but then that letting go means mourning. That means doing some crying because your physical being can no longer hold them, can no longer hold their hand, can no longer hear them speak. And so your body has to weep. And so you go through some little mourning and you let go of the physical. And then you can breathe in the spiritual connection and you can hold on and hold on to that. And so that your whatever your spiritual teachings are to really submit yourself to them. But that's my sense of it, that we can hold on to that beauty that's inside. And it's a kind of an immature part of ourself that ourselves that don't that don't want to let go i was hoping to go out for a for a hike today and it's it's raining ah it takes a moment from my body to let go of oh i was really looking forward to doing that my legs i wanted to walk and my my lungs i wanted to sm smell that fresh mountain air ah but it's not to be <laughs> okay, and now I'm back. So a little time to mourn as we go through things and as we lose little things in our lives, um, be willing to let go. You lose the game. Okay, that's all right. Let go of the, the attachment that you had to the winning. And then it becomes easier when we have those, those bigger let goes. Okay. Karen, thank I'm, you. Yeah. Thank you for answering my question. Oh, uh, you're welcome, George. I hope it was helpful. Uh, I see that Karen had a uh, uh, had put something in the Q and A box. You can open that up and and see it. And her uh, husband hasn't had a cigarette in over 
10 years from listening to the quit smoking program <laughs> religiously. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, good. Mindful meditation. Yes, uh, I do recommend that. My living mindfully. I have not seen, but I'll make a note to see that. It sounds like a good idea. For those of you who haven't seen uh, my movie yet, um, you live life. It's at Amazon, or if you go to drmillard.com slash live life, L-I-V-E-L-I-F-E, that will take you to where you can see it. Uh, there are 12 episodes, and uh, I think four of them are featuring my work with people, and you get a, 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 just a sense of, of, of how people handle this. Binaural beats for relaxation, I'm not impressed myself. Theoretically, uh, yeah, or if you had if you have something where it's you do have a bong 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 bong, okay, going from side to side, okay, so you can you can have something like EMDR going for you, and that may be relaxing. Um, binaural beats that you're not able to perceive, it hasn't done anything for me. Theoretically, I understand it but I haven't, I haven't seen it. Uh, but once again, we have, uh, we have placebo. Our placebo response uh, is uh, working for us. And so if those binaural beats are presented in a way that makes you believe uh, in them, then that will, will uh, very well may make them work for you because you believe lovely experiment where it took a huge number of people, I don't know, 500 people or whatever. And half of the people, they said, okay, we're going to give you a, a, a drink. It's a, it's a, it's a good tasting drink, but it's not only good tasting, but it's, it's packed with probiotics and it has protein in it. And they, you know, mentioned these, you know, it's gluten-free <laughs> and, um, so we want you to just to drink this, and then we want to have you evaluate how it tastes and so forth. Uh, and the other half, they said, okay, we're giving you a drink. It tastes good, but it, it has absolutely no, no nutritious value in it whatsoever. But we'll, we think it's enjoyable, and we'd like to get your feeling about it. And so they give these people the drinks, and then they come back, you know, after an hour or so, well, you know, ask how has it taste, blah, blah. They come back after an hour and they find that the ones that had the nutritious drink, um, they had no hunger. They were still, um, they felt um, energized by the drink. It was, it was wonderful. Maybe after two thirds of them, you know, it's with in the other group, you know, after an hour, I think they were hungry. They didn't get anything out of the drink at all. Well, my guess, that seems reasonable, except that they both got the same drink, right? <laughs> that's the placebo effect. It's so powerful. Uh, that's what's happening. So many of our you know, current day you know, healing techniques. Oh, everybody's got a new pill, a new berry that they've discovered or 
something they've gotten from an ancient African tribe, you know, and I've, I, I can, I must have seen, I mean, literally thousands of, you know, and I've even tried some of these things, you know, I've not found them to work for me. And yet I do believe that they have worked for some people, you know, those commercials you get where they make you listen to somebody talking. It's, it's like, and it sounds interesting. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, where, where can I get it? And well, I'll tell you about it, but first let me tell you what it did for my great grandmother. Now let me tell you. Uh, and so after 40 minutes of listening to this, and then they finally tell you where you can um, get this incredible thing. And, and it's, you know, but you have to order it within the next 50 minutes or, or, or something like that. Uh, uh -huh. If you've listened to it for that amount of time, you've exposed yourself to the pattern and that has made an adjustment. That's your unconscious mind helping you out with a placebo response. Okay. So <laughs> those are those are my thoughts about, and I just took off from binaural beats, but the difference between doing daily guided imagery versus breathing meditation. Um, for for dealing with distress and relaxation, um, guided daily guided imagery versus breathing meditation. Um, they're both good, and some people will find guided imagery is usually works better for people who have strong visual imagery and that kind of creativity, uh, whereas the breathing meditation is going to appeal to people who are more kinesthetic. There was someone I met who was a Jungian therapist, and I made an appointment to go see him. Uh, and we talked for a while. And then he said, you know, you know, when you come back, when you come back, have a, have a dream and we'll work on it. Well, I seldom had dreams and when i did they were jumbled and i couldn't remember them well i said okay i do my best well uh it was really the night before my <laughs> my appointment i had a dream and, and i had a dream of of a fellow who um was showing me that he could stab himself with a sword and pull a sword out and 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 it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt him uh and it's very odd looking guy had this funny little beard and mustache and i said well um you know who who are you and so he gave me his card and his card said, Reverend something. Okay, a weird dream, but it, at least it was a dream. So I, I have something to tell my therapist. And that morning, I went to the Naval Postgraduate School where um, Jack Swartz was giving a presentation. Jack Swartz has passed on, but uh, I never heard of him before, but I had been invited because it was supposed to be about um, mind and body uh, relationships. And this was the, the group from 
uh, from the Naval Postgraduate School that were interested in human performance. And so this fellow came and I was in the room and this fellow walks into the room and it's the guy from my dream. I mean, he was thin, he had this, this little beard and this foreign accent, which he had in my dream, by the way. And so he, you know, he was um, talking about, you know, meditation and controlling his body. And he had this incredible control over his body. And then he said he was going to demonstrate. So I, he rolled up his sleeve and we had all introduced ourselves, uh, you know, many naval officers and me. I think I was the physician in the group. And so I said, well, you're the physician. Would you help me? I said, sure. So he came over and he says, I want you to just hold my arm like this. Uh, and he said, yeah, that's it. But before he did that, he pulled out this long needle, the size of a knitting needle, but flat and long like that. And he says, here we go. And he says, first of all, we want this to be clean. So he threw it on the floor and he kicked it around with his foot on the floor. Then he picked it up and he says, he blew it off. We don't need any dust particles in there because we've, we've got all the germs there. So he asked me to hold his arm like this. And he proceeded to pass it through the belly of his bicep muscle, this sword shaped in emerged out of here and it didn't bleed he and he and he showed no pain <laughs> several of the other people in the audience got sick to their stomach and, and had to leave <laughs> uh you know uh, being a doctor of course I'm, i was used to this kind of thing i mean seeing things in, in, impale the body and he said, he said, this isn't hurting me because I'm not here. I'm sitting over in that corner watching this demonstration with you. So therefore, how could I feel anything? And he pulled it out and he said, you know, this is no blood. He says, ring it out. So I took my hands and I squeezed it. Couldn't squeeze a, a drop of blood out of it. And so... At the end of the presentation, this fellow, I said, well, you know, how can I get in touch with you? So he gave me his card, and his card said, the Reverend Jack Schwartz. <laughs> so I had material for my Jungian analyst. Uh, unfortunately, I did not pursue it. Um, Jung had some very, very good ideas, the concept of the universal uh, um, Unconscious, I like that. It's a good way to think about things. Uh, whether it's true or false, I don't know, but it generates, uh, it generates creative thoughts. I'm impressed that um, Carl Jung was one who came up basically with a 12-step program that was modified a little bit for the Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I was one of those who saw many people suffering from alcoholism and then came Alcoholics Anonymous and it was effective where nothing else was effective. They're using Jung's steps. So uh, I appreciate uh, what he does. It's a little uh, nebulous for me because I'm so much the scientist in doing this, but, uh, and I know he's done a lot of, a lot, a lot of people have gotten a lot out of doing his work. So uh, 
so that's my that's my experience okay and my next question is dear dr miller well thank you dear karen <laughs> it's good to have you here so so let's um so let's let's just do a do a brief relaxation uh and and imagery uh and since we've been talking a little bit about the spiritual aspect of it let's go ahead and connect with the spirit within remember choose a point on the wall of ceiling opposite you keep your attention fixed there that's the first step is fixing your attention that is you're using your prefrontal cortex your higher mind to say okay i'm going to be in charge of where my attention is focused you focus it on that point and your unconscious mind tries to pull you away from it to look at something else or worry about something else and you don't let it happen and then you begin to relax and think about there's no other place that you have to go nothing you have to do no problem you have to solve nothing life or death that you need to deal with and so you feel yourself slip into a kind of daydreamy state where you're looking into the distance but you're not really thinking about that then your eyelids begin to close they feel heavy and pull themselves closed Relax your eyelids to the point they don't want to open. These are the smallest muscles in your body. You can voluntarily control, tense, and relax. Relax your eyelids until they're so relaxed that if you try to open them, they kind of resist being open. Resisting with relaxation. Let that relaxation flow throughout all the rest of your body. Give all the rest of your body permission to be here in this safe moment. To know this is the only moment there really is. And of course, you can look back in the past. And as you think about other times, then you take yourself out of the moment and you get into reactions to that past experience. But if you allow your mind to be free, free of any unnecessary thoughts, unnecessary thoughts come along, but you just let them go right out the door on the other side, like a room with a door on one side and a door on the other. A thought comes in one door, you open the other door and it leaves, that's it. Another one comes and you let it pass through. Let it blow away like wind blowing away mist from the top of a mountain. Put the unnecessary thought on a blackboard in your mind and as you test your eyelids, erase the unnecessary thoughts and send another wave of relaxation through all your being, through every cell of your being. More and more peaceful and more and more calm. Good. And now just imagine that you're floating on a magic carpet. 
that can carry you through space and time. Connect with one of those experiences in the past. A time when you felt really excited, really joyful, really in love. When you had a spiritual experience. Something amazing, baffling, and yet you had that experience. Might have been seeing an unidentified flying object or a sudden awareness that there's more than meets the eye. Let yourself relive that experience to whatever degree you can. If you can visualize it vividly and clearly, do so. If you're one of those people like me who doesn't really see things that clearly, And yet, I can imagine myself sitting in an audience in a theater, a beautiful old theater. The walls are maroon. There's gold trim all around this theater. And there's a string quartet playing in the middle of the stage with spotlight on them. They're wearing black. There are three women and two men. There are violins. There's a bass. There's a cello and there's a viola. And they're playing beautifully. And the other two are singing, not words, but just making beautiful sounds. And it just is creating a sense of lightness in my body, a sense of openness, a sense of wholeness. And I just feel a sense of connection with the musicians. And I feel a connection with all the people around me who are enjoying this. And through all of our connection, I feel connection with everybody, everybody on this planet. There's a wholeness and a oneness and a love that comes from the spirit that lives as long as we live and maybe more. And feel how it feels in your body. I just made that memory up. I didn't see it, but I made it real. Go back to another memory and make it real. Or if you like, make up a memory of a spiritual experience and feel it. Breathe it throughout your body. Give yourself a signal, a physical signal that can bring you back to it. Maybe a hand over your heart. And breathe it throughout all of your body. And give yourself permission to receive guidance from this spiritual level within you. And if you like, you can make a commitment 
coming back on a daily basis, or maybe two or three times a day, to reconnect with the spirit center of you, with your ability to be at peace. And picture yourself living your life in a way that's guided by the highest levels of your awareness, by that spirit that moves through all things, in a way that you are filled with gratitude. Every moment you look about and find something to be grateful for. Think of the principles that you want to live your life by. And if you like, after this imagery, you might stop and write those principles down to be loving, to be kind, to be grateful, to develop the ability to feel reverence, to share. to give other people the benefit of the doubt and still open yourself slowly to people that you don't know but be willing to acknowledge beauty to practice beautiful things to see the love that's in beautiful things wasn't it Alexander Pope It said, truth is beauty and beauty truth. This is all you know and all you need know. What are the other principles in your life? Take the time and write them down. That might be a good thing to do now. And meanwhile, when you're ready, you can bring yourself back. The full connection with the space around you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me. And next, I have a feeling I'm going to work on relationships. Uh, they're very important. So people that you know that may be interested in my views on relationship, then let them know. And that will be in four weeks from now, which will be on the first Thursday of February. So, namaste, be well, and love yourself too.